This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. If we've not met, my name is Rob. I'm also one of the pastors here, and I want to extend a welcome to you as well. Thank you so much for being here. We've been in a series, as Bob mentioned, in the book of 1 Corinthians. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible underneath you, or there's a Bible in the seat in front of you. And we're in chapter 15. We're closing out this, this study of uh, 1 Corinthians called um, Together. And uh, we're going to be looking at 35 through 58. That's on page 560. The Bible uh, in in the in the chair in front of you, and that's uh, that's free for you. That's a gift from us to you if you don't have a Bible. So we're going to be looking at the last half of uh, what we began last week when we talked about resurrection. And last week we talked about how resurrection brings a joy that's unspeakable and a joy that is full of glory. And this week I'd like us to talk about hope. Now all of us, all of us, struggle with feelings of hopelessness at times. In my own life, hopelessness has been a kind of fear that this one thing or these uh, several things in my life will never change, and hopelessness can settle in on us as this gnawing ache that my kids aren't doing well, and they never will. Or the physical pain hasn't gone away, and it never will. Or I'm a year older, and the dream hasn't come true that I've always had, that others have even maybe prayed for me, and that hasn't come true, and it never will. My life hasn't turned out like I wanted. Or there's this one creeping fear in my life that I'm terrified by, and I don't think that this thing is ever going to get away from me. In light of those kinds of hopeless feelings and many, many more that are represented today that maybe those don't adequately represent, I would like to make a bold claim. You know, you're never supposed to overpromise and underdeliver. So in light of that kind of uh, cultural reference, I'd like to make a bold claim here this morning that the future victory of resurrection guarantees hope for today. The future victory of resurrection guarantees hope regardless of what you're going through today. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in these uh, verses together. In verse 35 through 57, we're going to be talking about what is the future victory of resurrection. What is it? And then one verse to close us out, verse 58 How does it guarantee hope? How does it guarantee it for today? So let's open up our hearts to the Lord as we have our Bibles open and ask him to come and minister to us as we read his word together. Lord, our our hearts and our lives are open to you now. We ask that you would speak to us, that you would fill our minds and fill our hearts with hope that this world can't offer So just speak to us. We're listening for your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's look at the future victory of resurrection. And it's a great thing to say, victory. That's a word that we don't use very often. And we're going to be talking about how the resurrection brings this this kind of victory. 
Now, if you remember from last week, uh, Paul is addressing resurrection of believers in Jesus. And he's answering some of their questions. And so I can't repeat all of that from last week, but I encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't already. Because he's going to go into a further question that clarifies what their concerns are about believers being resurrected. They were okay with Jesus being resurrected. That was cool with them. But when you start talking about believers being resurrected, that's when they had issues. And the Corinthians were having some people tell them no believers are physically resurrected. Uh, That's not going to happen. Well, look at verse 35. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? In verse 36, he answers, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed as seed its own body. So the underlying issue that the Corinthians had was any time that Paul referenced bodily, physical resurrection of believers, they had in their minds uh, something like how in the world are corpses going to be reanimated and come up out of the tomb, and that's a really grotesque image for all the promises of the spiritual age and the Holy Spirit coming to us and making us clean. And now you're talking about resurrection and the bodies coming up out of the tomb. And it's not too far from the modern-day idea of zombies. We live in a zombie-obsessed culture. I don't know if you are aware of that. Zombies everywhere. We got zombies for breakfast and zombies for lunch and zombies for dinner. I mean, Hollywood can't give us enough about zombies. Okay, and this, they, they weren't even thinking about that, but it, it had that imagery in their minds of, what are you talking about? And so the image was so grotesque among some of the Corinthians that they just went on a campaign among the church and said, this can't be, this isn't happening. Just get the whole physical resurrection out of your head. Now, to that concern, Paul says, whoever that person is, he may know exactly who it is. He says, you foolish person. Now, in the Bible, a fool isn't just somebody who is sinful or weak. A fool is somebody who fails to take into consideration God. <laughs> it's the person in, in Scripture who, who says things and does things, failing to take into consideration the supernatural God of the universe. And so he addresses it pretty strongly. You foolish person. And then he says, essentially, you hold the answer in your very hands. The question that you're asking, you can hold in your hands. God has already made the universe uh, and proven that something can exist in different forms. Take, for example, seeds. He says, you know, a a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or or some other grain has one kind of form, but then it takes on a different kind of form. It's the same thing, but it can take on a dramatically different kind of form and a more glorious form, a more beautiful form. And he's going to go in and and address more about the issues of, of beauty in just a second. So he says, listen, our current bodies are in seed form. That's essentially what he's saying in this this first 
few verses. We're in seed form. We're like a, a seed of uh, wheat. Or, or take your favorite, take your favorite seed. I don't know if, how many of us actually deal with seeds outside of Chauncey Almond, but um, if you don't know, let me introduce. We have a um, leader in the church, Chauncey Almond. He will get, tell you everything about gardening. Um, and how to be successful at that in uh, suburbia. So he'll tell you all about how to do that and all about different seed forms. But he says that's what our bodies are. Our bodies are seeds. Now look at verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. He's being very simple here. Let's just take the world, just scan your eyeballs out over creation. You'll see birds, you'll see fish, you'll see animals, and you'll see all their their beautiful forms. Verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So take the first part there. There there is a glory in our present bodies, even though we're in seed form right now. It's seed form, but nevertheless, God created the human body To glorify him. And he declared it good when he created the human body. So there's beauty in the very design of it. In the complexities of it. There's beauties in the differences between male and female. There's beauty in how they complement each other's weaknesses and each other's strengths. So there's a beauty there. And we shouldn't dismiss the, the current form that God has created or pretend it doesn't matter. It does matter. It's beautiful and it's glorious. There is a certain kind of glory in its own existence. But then he says it's different from the glory of our future bodies. And that's when he gets really cosmic and he starts talking about the sun and the moon and the stars and how stars differ from star in glory. And they just say the Apostle Paul didn't have the Hubble telescope like we have today. The Apostle Paul didn't get things in his news feed about, hey, we just zoomed in on the, the storm that's on Jupiter, the eye of, of Jupiter. Anybody see that this week? And uh, in my news feed it showed up and they put, the, they put the planet Earth, they just compared the sizes of Jupiter to Earth, and they took the planet Earth and stuck it right on top of the storm, that big eye of Jupiter that you've all seen. You know what I'm talking about? That's how large it is. And for Paul, he understands there, there's a glory there and a glory there and a glory in the moon and a glory in the sun, and each of them differ glory from another. And all of that is, is, is cosmic radiance that God's created. And so there's different glories for different things that God's created. So, so what are the differences when he's talking about resurrection in our, our current state? Look at verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. 
It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Do you see the contrast that he's, he's giving right there? Here's how he describes the current bodies. You're just looking at your text right there. Perishable, dishonor, weakness, natural. Our current form is beautiful. Our current form has a glory to it. Nevertheless, our current form is perishable, dishonorable, weakness, and natural. All because of the curse of the fall. When Adam walked out on God and when we walked out on God, we incurred a curse that brought in sickness and brought in death and made this beautiful form that God created perishable and dishonorable and natural and prone to weakness. Now, even though Paul has told the Corinthian church that we now live in the age of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit, through the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus pouring out the Holy Spirit, connecting ordinary people to a supernatural God by faith, even though we live in that age of the Spirit, he's not afraid to boast about his weaknesses and about his challenges and about the difficulties of having a natural, weak, perishable body. He has to remind people over and over again, he'll say in another part of the Bible, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. In other words, he was close to death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. I was on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, robbers, my own people, the Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil, hardship, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, in cold, and exposure. And then all the pressures that he mentions about anxiety for all of the churches. And he summarizes that whole part of saying, who is weak and I'm not weak? Paul says, I live weak. I'm weak every day. I experience weakness. I experience the effects of a perishable, natural body. But note the contrast of what he's just mentioned. He's mentioned that our current bodies are that way, but our resurrected bodies are imperishable. Never to decay is what that means, imperishable. Glorious. That means radiant. Powerful. No weakness, Paul's referencing. Spiritual, that means empowered fully and totally and completely by the Holy Spirit. In essence, he's repeating what he's told the Philippian church, that when Jesus returns, he will transform. That's essentially what he's talking about here. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. The same power that we mentioned last week that allows Christ to subject everything under his feet. That kind of power, God's kind of power, is able to take a lowly body and make it into a glorious body like Jesus. Well, he goes on. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. So the Corinthian church, remember what we've been talking about with spiritual gifts, 
they were so excited. And this is, it's good to be excited about the Holy Spirit coming and filling us and being connected with God by faith. And then his impart, imparting of unique and, spe, and spiritual gifts to each one of us. But they had it such that, uh, you know, now that we have the Spirit, uh, that's it. That's all that's come. We were earthly. We were natural. But now we've got the Holy Spirit. And so we're done. And, and Paul wants to say, no, the Spirit is the down payment for the transformation of the natural body for the new world. So they, they want to say it's natural and then spiritual and we're done. In verse 46, he says, it's not just that. It's the natural that's first. It's the spiritual that's first, but the natural and then the spiritual. So there's another form and there's a, there's a future promise of resurrection that you should all be excited about. You've got the down payment. Now you await future transformation. He goes on, verse 47. The first man was from the earth, which the Corinthians wouldn't have had any problem with that. We understand that. A man of dust. The second man, referencing Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Now, here's where they would have gotten really nervous. They were okay with being connected to Adam. They were okay with understanding ourselves to be like the man of dust. But what they were uncomfortable with was the idea that we would be like the man from heaven. Verse 49, though, Paul doesn't allow them to... To miss this, he says, just as, now hold on to those two words, because they're very, very important. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that means the sinful, perishable, like Adam form, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he was given a heavenly body. And what Paul is saying right here is that we are promised, we are guaranteed to have this exact kind of body. Not a different kind, the exact kind. And you could reference earlier in 1 Corinthians where he says Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits. That's not different from the harvest coming. It's the first of what's coming behind, and which is us who have fallen asleep. We are promised the exact kind of body, verse 49 says. And now we can go back to the resurrection appearances in the gospel with great excitement and great hope, which I hope you do. Let me give you an example. Luke 24 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible because it's all these resurrection appearances of Jesus. And he just goes about freaking people out with hope. And I just love it. So uh, he, he appears uh, to some folks, by the way, and uh, explains to them, beginning from the Bible to the end, how... Jesus was the hope of, of redemption. 
And then he goes to dinner. They, they implore him to stay with him for dinner. They're not quite sure it's Jesus yet. And then he reveals himself to them that it is Jesus in his resurrected form. And just as soon as they catch that it's Jesus, uh, he vanishes from their sights. And the next time we see him reappear, it's in front of his disciples in Luke 24, 36. And I love this part where it says, as they were talking about these things, all the resurrection and the death and the, 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 the news of, of, of Jesus and hearing him being raised, Jesus himself stood among them. He just appears out of nowhere and said to them, peace to you, exclamation point. Because doubtless they were afraid, and it says that they were afraid. But they were startled, and they were frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. In other words, I'm not a ghost. You could reach out and touch my hands. Look at my feet. I'm flesh and bones. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Doubtless they saw the nail-scarred hands and feet. That's why he says hands and feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, most theological words, question ever in the Bible, have you anything here to eat? In other words, I'm going to prove it to you right now that I'm flesh and blood. I'm going to prove to you that I'm not a ghost. I know I just appeared to you, but I'm physical. And then they said in verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. They just looked around. What do we have? We got some broiled fish, and they give it to him. And he took it, and he ate before them. I mean, don't don't uh, over-spiritualize that. He's showing them, I'm not a ghost. I'm real. And he just enjoys some fish and eating that right in front of them. And they're just watching him eat this fish. And they're confirmed he's real and he's resurrected and he is flesh and blood. And we can't touch him and amazing. Now that, that's just one passage. There's lots and lots of passages about his resurrection, his resurrected body. But suffice it to say, if we just had that, and you can look at some more, we can use our sanctified imagination to, to picture what our future form will, um, will be like. Our future bodies will be recognizable. We won't be ethereal ghosts without a form or, uh, you know, we won't be unknown. Uh, Your future form will have your laughter, your eyes, your smile. It will be really you. You're not going to come back as George Clooney. You may wish you took on a different, uh, you know, person or something like that. It's you. God made you you, and there's a glory to you right now. There is a kind of glory to you, a unique glory to you. It's not going to compare with the future glory of you, but you will be you. Um, Suffice it to say that this body will be physical. Jesus says flesh and bones, not ghostly or or whimsical. We're not going to be floating around on clouds or something like that. Uh, We will run and we will jump and we will swim with the legs that God has intended for us. We will feel the grains of sand on our feet. We will feel with our hands the coldness of snow in the new heaven and the new earth. 
we will smell the new scents and the old fragrances that we love. Uh, you will enjoy and feel the taste of food and drink in the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, there will be a reunion one day, a future reunion with children who were lost in infancy and those who are with Jesus right now. You will physically hold your family and friends. They will know you and you will know them and there will be an instant reunion. If your mom is with Jesus right now, you will hug your mom again. You will feel that embrace. If your kids are with Jesus right now, you will run your fingers through your kids' hair. It's a physical resurrection. It's real. And with all of what we can imagine life being like in a resurrected body, and we should, we should spend time thinking about it and imagining what life will be like. We should equally spend time thinking about uh, how our bodies will no longer be subject to any effects of sin. Maybe this is a way to think about this. No more aches or pains of any kind. Our future physical bodies will not have bruises or blisters or anything that hurts in a really painful way in your life. No more medicine. No more doctors. No more surgeons. No more insurance. No more allergies. No more disabilities. No more handicaps. No more vision problems. No more hearing problems. No more disease. No more sickness of any kind. There will be no cancer. There will be no AIDS. There will be no migraines. There will be no chronic illness. There will be no more aging. There will be no more Alzheimer's. You fill in the blank. I mean, there will be a day when Jesus puts cancer under his feet where we'll have a conversation and we'll remember cancer as this bygone thing. Do you remember when cancer was a thing? Because Jesus will crush cancer under his feet. And the part I really enjoy when I look at the resurrection accounts, that that's not enough, is that when you see Jesus and you see him in his physical form, he is still doing things that are surprising. Uh, it, it seems as though his heavenly body is not subject to the same laws of physics in his appearing and vanishing. And so... I'm not going to speculate any more about that, but suffice to say, we'll be able to do things in our future bodies that right now are impossible. Impossible. And I don't know fully what that is, but I love to dream about that. Okay, so if all of this is in the future, I want to take a moment and just pause right here and answer a question because I anticipate some questions that might, might, some of you might be having about Christians who have died and are with Jesus right now. What is their present pre-resurrection form? What's their condition right now? 
Well, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. A lot of that is exactly what he's saying in this passage. Verse 6 says, So we are always of good courage. And I think we're going to have this up on the screen. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So notice there are two places that believers exist. Away from the body and at home with the Lord. So it's here with Jesus or it's at home with Jesus. Which he says we'd much rather be at home with the Lord. So very practically, if you die tomorrow at 3.04, you will be in the presence of Jesus at home with the Lord at 3.04. Not 3.05, 3.06, not two weeks later, not two years later or 200 years later in some mystical place. There'll be no layover somewhere else. There'll be no delay. There'll be no soul sleep. You'll be in the presence of Jesus, and that's where our loved ones are. Jesus says, In John 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Never die. Your body may expire, but you will never die. Your heart may stop beating. Your brain may stop functioning, but you will never die. He says uh, in John 8... If anyone keeps my word, that's followers of Jesus. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Never see it. We live with so much fear and anxiety about something. Jesus says we will never even see. Believers who have died are at home with the Lord, experiencing fullness of joy among millions of believers in a world of happiness and a world of love, where Paul says, take your best day on this planet, and I would rather be there. And yet while they are there, they, like us, are anticipating a resurrection body like Jesus. There's a future gift that they are going to get. God's not been glorified through rewarding their faith on earth yet. They've not been given their final resurrection body yet. They've not seen the new heaven and the new earth yet. Nor have we, and these are all future events we anticipate with them. So we we see right out of the gate that heaven is this place where you can experience and will experience fullness of joy even while anticipating more things to come. And if you've ever wondered how in the world that's possible, just watch a kid at Christmas. 
You know, every Advent season, every Christmas season, we have a calendar full of activities. And there's fullness of joy on this day, but there's another thing awaiting. And then there's great joy on this day, and then there's another thing coming. And then there's great joy on Christmas Eve, and we do our candlelight service. And there's great joy on Christmas Eve because uh, everybody gets to unwrap one present on Christmas Eve. How many of you guys do that? Everybody else who doesn't do that, you're not American. You need to do it the right way. You need to open up one on Christmas Eve, and then you open up the rest on Christmas morning. And then there's great joy on Christmas morning. And if I were to interview the kids, which I do on occasion, are you, full, are you filled up with joy today? Yes. But there's an anticipation of future joy to come. And that's what he talks about in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. So he, that's kind of a in-your-face for all the Corinthian theologians in there that were kind of saying, we've got it all figured out. He says, no, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. So when Jesus returns, everyone who has died and is with him will be transformed first. The, they got dibs. And then anyone who is alive on earth when he returns will be transformed to their resurrection form. So we'll join them. We'll get matched up with, with where they're at. And now notice here, the receiving of resurrection bodies for both of us, whether you're here or you're at home with Jesus, will be instantaneous. It will not be a gradual process. So get out of your head and heart any thoughts of some kind of weird zombie image or bodies coming up out of the graves and that kind of thing. You got to get rid of all of that from your thinking. It's quick. It's a blink. It's fast. God doesn't need time to make these things take place. 1 John 3 says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Boom, instantaneously, because we'll see him as he is. Now take a deep breath and just, just connect this to our doctrine of salvation. Some things in salvation take place in a moment, in a blink of an eye, and some things take place over time. Justification, what we talked about last week, the declaration that you are forgiven and justified in Christ through faith in him takes place in a blink. As soon as there's faith in Jesus, authentic, real faith, gift of God to the person and work of Christ, our penalty is removed instantaneously. There's no gradual process to that. Glorification, which is what he's talking about here, takes place in a moment, in a blink, when the presence of sin is removed instantly. Sanctification, which is the process that we're all in together, takes place gradually with much difficulty. The power of sin is broken, not instantaneously, but over time. We have victory, but it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's broken over time. The other two take place in an instant. So we're right in the, the middle of something that's taking place 
boom, and another thing that's going to be taking place in the future in a blink. And in the, in the meantime, we have hope and we have victory as, as, as we uh, deal with sin and the power of sin is broken. Okay, here's how he wraps up this section right here. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. He loves the image. He loves the image of death being swallowed up in victory. That word swallowing up. Is uh, that's Pauline. He loves that phrase. You should love that phrase. Anybody seen Jurassic World? Anybody not see it? Because I'm about to I'm about to spoil it for you. I'm spoiling it for you. You should have seen it already. At the end, <laughs> at the end of the movie, the big horrible dinosaur that's just causing all this death and havoc and wrath all over. Uh, Jurassic World. It gets to the very end, and he looks like he's just about to beat our friend, the T-Rex, who was, we hated him in the first series, but now we love him. And he's just about to defeat the T-Rex, and then out of nowhere comes this other dinosaur that we had forgotten about that was living in the abyss of the lake, and he just comes right up out, and he just swallows him up and just pulls him down, uh, just like that. And the audience cheers and they say, yes, it's gone. That thing's not coming up once it was swallowed up. And that's what comes to my mind. I'm sorry, I'm not more spiritual. But that's what comes to my mind <laughs> when I think of something swallowing up something else that's as, as terrible as death. Now look at verse, verse 55. Paul starts taunting death. He goes, oh, death. Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He trash talks death right there in verse 55. He taunts it. Something that had so much power, so much ability to strike fear in us is now gone in the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, death, where's your victory now? Oh, death, where's your sting now? And can I just encourage all of us? We need a little bit more taunt in our hearts when we think about death. It's got a grip on us. It's got a fear on us. We're afraid of it. We're afraid of the time. We're afraid of the clock ticking down. We're afraid of our, what's going to happen to us. We need some taunt going on in our hearts. Like Paul says, oh, death, what you got now? Where's your victory? Where's your sting? Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. In other words, Sin it was the sting, and the, and, and, and the law stirred it up in us. We didn't know how sinful we were until we saw God's law. But verse 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus defeated sin in the death and resurrection, and he fulfilled the law. He defeated sin, he fulfilled the law, and through both of those acts, gives us the victory. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus has done it all. So let's close with verse 58. How does this guarantee hope for today? Here's how, here's how Paul ends. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters. He brings all of this teaching and he just sits down with the Corinthian church, who many of them were anti-Paul, many of them didn't like Paul. 
He had lots of reasons to not call them his dear brothers and sisters, but in light of all that Jesus has done and all that he's going to do, he's like, my dear brothers, my dear sisters, listen up, stand firm. In light of all that I've said, stand firm. Let nothing move you. That's what the Lord says to all of us today. You got anything in your life that's moving you, that's shaking your confidence? Let nothing move you. Do not believe the lie that things will never change. Paul says everything's going to change. Every single thing is going to change for the good. Everything. Let the future victory over sin encourage you to fight temptation, whether it's anger in your life or fear in your life or lust in your life or greed or whatever it is. Take hold of the victory that is yours in Christ. And then he closes, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And that's, that's, that's not uh, just serving in the local church. That's not just doing the work of evangelism, sharing the gospel with a coworker at work or leading the, the gospel to a spiritual conversation. All of that is included in there. But it's serving Christ in every area of life and then sharing him with the relationships that he provides. And then he closes with this last little promise. Because, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. That's a huge thing. Because, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In light of the resurrection of Jesus, in light of all that he is going to do and gift to you in the future, nothing you do for Jesus is ever in vain, whether it's at work or in the neighborhood or in your family. He says the resurrection unlocks generosity because nothing done for Jesus goes unnoticed or unrewarded in the next life. Every single sacrifice made for Christ will be richly rewarded in the next. Jesus said such things. He said, no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel will not receive a hundredfold now in this time and in the age to come eternal life. That's 200 times return on investment. Any investor today will tell you that this is a no-fail investment. No fail. It can't fail. We will not regret a single sacrifice in the age to come. We will only wonder why in the world did we not give ourselves more fully to the work of the Lord? Why did we not endure with joy these light and momentary afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison? One commentator said it this way, standing beneath Our present labors is the sure word of Christ's own triumph over death, which guarantees that we shall likewise conquer. Victory in the present begins when we can, with Paul, sing the taunt of death even now in light of Christ's resurrection, knowing that death's doom is already.
You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.